Beat Podcast. The episode that you're about to listen to is our launch episode. So welcome, and I'm super happy and I feel really privileged that you've tuned in. This inaugural Wine Beat will introduce you to the theme and the mission of the Wine Beat. I really hope you like the concept and that you'll find the offering unique and useful and that you'll be intrigued enough to come back to listen to the other podcasts that have been loaded up on our website. And I hope this is the beginning of a long adventure where we will explore and discover a tremendous number of outstanding and highly accessible wines together. This podcast is about wine, and it's about the story of wine, and it's about finding incredible wines. So a question to start. How much do you want your bottle of wine to be able to tell a story? Is that a cheesy question? Should that bottle be in a position to speak to you and engage you in a conversation about its life story? Maybe another cheesy question. Should it have a personality? And when it goes to a party, should it be able to hold its own around the dining table or the barbecue or the living room? Should it have things to say about where it came from and how it was raised and where its winemaker what its winemaker was like. Should there be some subtleness, charm, and finesse that comes across in that wine? From my personal perspective, the answer, of course, is yes to all those questions. Wine is a story in a bottle. There is history, geography, science, art, the divine, and the sublime. There's soil and fruit, acid, color, and much, much more in a bottle of wine. It's so complex and nuanced, but it's somehow also really simple. Wine, when you think about it, it has a unique and extremely cool attribute. It is the only alcoholic drink that is completely natural in that it can spontaneously occur without human intervention. Nothing else does that, not even beer. And that it can spring forth completely naturally and that it has been the single most loved and admired, you know, drink in human history can make people believe in its mythical qualities, i.e. that it has a story which is transcendent and linked to something God intended us for us humans to have, which is, of course, something that people have believed for thousands of years, that wine is a magical thing and it's a gift from God. That sets the bar pretty high. We better be drinking good wines. Good wine is an artisanal product, which means that a dedicated and talented set of hands has crafted it with the singular focus of absolutely making that wine as good as it can possibly be. So that the wine is an expression of the winemaker's ability to synthesize all of those parts that make up the wine and create the story of the wine. So for those who picture a winemaker fretting over the vines and analyzing in the cellar and smelling and tasting and knocking themselves out as the wine is fermented and raised up, that picture is pretty much exactly right. For those that think that wine is now an industrial product made largely on a recipe, well, that can also be a true picture in a lot of cases in modern winemaking. But we're not going there with this podcast. 
The winemaker that we're thinking about wants the land, the soils, the local climate to all contribute to the story. For the type of vine and the way that vine has been raised to also tell part of the story. For the history of the vineyard to contribute all of the subtle detail that comes from, you know, the long lineage of that piece of land. For the winery equipment, the tanks, the barrels, the cellar, to also play a role in the story. And for the magic marriage of sugar and yeast to be somehow a real hidden hand in that narrative. The story is usually going to be quite subtle. This is not a highly scripted action thriller. Almost every good winemaker will tell you that it's their job to take a light-handed approach, to stay in the background, to be as non-interventionist as possible, to grow the best grapes they possibly can, and then in the cellar, to be something like a good parent that lets the child express its own personality. After that, the wine has to speak for itself. The wine world is large and diverse and teeming with great winemakers making outstanding wines with real personality and charisma. So there is no shortage of wines with great stories to tell. Some of the greatest stories belong to wines with stratospheric prices. We're not going to spend too much time on those wines. Some of the greatest stories belong to wines that are pushing the boundary in some important and exciting way. We are going to spend time on those wines. That's what we're after. So the mission of the Wine Beat is about finding wines with a great story around all those key things like the location, the grape, the winemaker, the history, and all that stuff. But wines that have something else that makes them supremely worthy of attention. We're in pursuit of wines that come from lesser-known areas or from super-talented winemakers in already established areas, or a combination of all of those things, but with the end result that you can afford to drink some of the world's best wines every time you buy them. You just have to be willing to spend 15 to 20 bucks or so for a bottle, which is an awesome price for the wines that we're going to drink and the wines that we're after. Good wines should always be attainable. Wine has always been, since its creation, an integral part of human life, and over time has become an integral part of daily life. So it bothers me a bit that wine is often so hyped that prices make it unattainable, or that wonderful wines, but with outsized reputations, become something that is bought up in quantities by speculators, anticipating that the price for collectors will increase and increase and increase on and on and on and thereby those wines become unattainable to many. However, wine is infinitely capable of being made at the highest quality in wineries or regions that are not so famous. What's really fascinating, I would suggest, is that there's been a massive leveling of the global wine playing field that has come in the past half century. And that's introduced unheard of wine choices from a previously unimaginable range of locations. I think we've all seen this. Here we have a great convergence that is driving the global wine market in a way never before experienced. Winemakers from just about everywhere, old world, new world, with amped up access to know-how and technology and with access to the best soils and climates, and they're competing to bring outstanding wines to market at prices that attract purchasers like you and me. This is the convergence. 
So in order for us to drink those wines, we're going to have to go out and we're going to have to find them. We're going to have to go and talk to the winemakers and the wine experts and find out straight from them. We're going to go and scour the globe for cool, inspirational wines from visionary winemakers that are smashing quality barriers. We're going to embrace the great wines that don't always get the great hype. There is a fantastic book by Neil Beckett called A Thousand and Wines, A Thousand and One Wines, sorry, You Must Taste Before You Die. It's a great book, in, informational and fun to read, but it does what wine critics and what wine writers often do. It takes you, in many cases, to the upper end of the price scale. Yeah, of course you should have a $2,000 bottle of Petrus if you can before you die. I mean, I I guess you should. I, okay, great. If you have the money, more power to you because you'll drink wonderful wine. But let's take another tack, you and I. Let's find a 1,001 accessible wines you should drink before you die. Let's find the wines that have tremendous story and where the winemaker is absolutely knocking himself out to get the attention the wine deserves and is keen to get that wine to you at a just price. My name is Craig Heschuk. I practiced law for many years and spent a lot of my career living in different countries and was busy having a great time, but I realized at a point that I had the desire to start over and do something completely different. And then one day I had a bit of a brainstorm. I knew that I would rather be working in wine. And I began to imagine the career opportunities. So I found a program at the University of California, Davis. It's a two-year certificate program in winemaking and viticulture. I completed that program, and then I joined a winery as an apprentice winemaker and a vineyard hand. And I've been doing that for the last while. Ever since, I've been learning from the ground up about how great wine is grown and then how it is made in the cellar. And all the while, I've been drinking as many wines as I can and traveling and thinking about creating a podcast and a website. So that's it. Let's jump in together and have a smashing time exploring the world's great cutting-edge wines. Or not always cutting-edge wines, uh, because we'll also be checking out many old-school wines that just deserve to be recognized and drunk more. It's going to be a little bit wine geeky at times. In fact, there's a bit of wine school involved in every episode. But wine school is the most fun kind of school. I like Ben Mitchell's quote. I wouldn't have minded school if they taught me important things like how to have good sex or what wines are best. But for some reason, they were hell-bent on teaching me algebra. Well, we'll be learning together. I'm by no means an expert. But we're going to tap into experts in winemaking, in wine marketing, the culinary arts, and others to find the best wines. As you might already be thinking, there's a lot for us to explore. This is a big task. The wine world is kind of vast. The good news is that this creates a huge university of wines in which to search for those talented winemakers bringing a premium product at great prices. The bad news? There is no bad news. We get to drink great wine together, and that's what this podcast is about. Together, we will ferret out some cool, special finds in wine. Okay, ready to talk about how we're going to tackle this? 
Here are my thoughts on the themes that will guide our wine search on the wine beat. Theme number one. The wine world is more dynamic and more accessible than it's ever been before. And premium wines are getting more numerous and affordable than they've ever been in the past. The reason for this is that it, there's been a convergence of factors that's occurring and it's amping up the wine industry beyond anything anyone would have predicted, you know, let's say 20 years ago. There's a number of factors, but here's some of them. Number one, there have been massive strides in wine science and in the connected winemaking communities, sharing of know-how. This is so important. Number two, there have been massive efficiencies in international trade that have driven down logistics costs. So that's a cost factor. Number three, there's been a relentless growth in wine consumption around the world. That's really driving things. Wine volumes in terms of consumption have grown so much. Number four, at the same time as number three is occurring, that is the growth in consumption, the level of wine knowledge and the adventurous nature of wine drinkers has just exploded. I mean, who would have thought this whole area was so interesting to people, right? Number five, this is important, a generation of winemakers are out there who share the excitement of the wine drinking public and are intensely motivated to create something remarkable with their vineyards. Number six, perhaps most importantly, it's all related to this new generation of winemakers. I can't say new generation necessarily, but this generation of winemakers, they have this creative passion and they're transforming wine quality. That's They're so focused on the vineyard particularly in terms of transforming wine quality. And they're tapping into the history of the land as well as the tech know-how that they can plug into. And they're really changing the way that they grow wine. It's the winemakers then who are at the center of these converging forces. They're well aware of them and they know that there's this healthy market for wines from special places. And they know that there's this healthy market for wines that are made very well and that have a story to tell. Yes, there's a very large mass market for industrial wines, but the convergence is helping the guy who produces the special wines of character and personality. And so these winemakers, through a mixture of passion and pragmatism, can hit that growing market. Something else occurs to me when I think about the dynamism in the wine market and these factors that are at play. And that is that the wine industry is being democratized. Basically, everybody is drinking wine now. That's not, that wasn't always the case, but now everybody's drinking wine. And people are more knowledgeable and they're more discerning and they're more demanding. And the winemakers have to appeal to this constituency of wine lovers who vote on their product every time that they buy wine. So the growth of wine science and the gargantuan level of research I mean, gargantuan. You just have to see the quantity of research papers coming out of specialized wine universities in practically every wine-making country in the world. And the information sharing that is going on, you know, the connected nature of our world, means more and more people can be great winemakers and viticulturalists. And those who are already winemakers and viticulturalists can be even better at their, their trade. It's not just the family members of a vineyard or in a vineyard that is passed down, you know, through the generation. And it's, and it's not just, you know, a cadre of uh, wine consultants who have, you know, got a PhD or whatever. It's whoever is young, bright, motivated, and wants to build a career in wine is willing to be serious in their education. 
So wine is not becoming, this is interesting, wine isn't becoming a commodity as some people were fearing or a monopoly as a result of technology and market evolution. Rather, it's becoming more diversified at the hands of this community where information and ideas can be shared and many, many people can collaborate. We as consumers are also at the center of this convergence and we're driving the demand and demanding better and more compelling products. And when we walk the aisles of the wine store or surf the net for wines, we can see in real time that the market is working for us. If we pay attention, we can see that the wine offering evolves on a constant basis in response to our demands. So there's a convergence of forces democratizing the whole offering, and I think that's, you know, I think that's very cool. Theme number two for the wine beat. This is uh, like theme number one was all about the convergence of factors. Theme number two is about accessibility. Top quality wine is accessible at attractive prices. And that's because talented winemakers are on great land and they're motivated to produce wonderful wines. They're passionate about it. This is just a corollary, I guess, of number one. In fact, it's almost a rehash of that theme about all these events creating choice and driving quality. But some of the best talent in wine is finding great places to grow wine, or they're out there improving existing places that have you know, been around for a long, long time. And they're fermenting and they're vinting that wine with great care and skill. And they're bringing the wine to market at fair prices. The upshot is that we, as wine drinkers, can drink absolutely knockout wines, and I mean legitimate world-class wines, at really nice prices. What we're looking for at the wine beat, and this is a big part of what we're all about, are wines that are priced around 20 bucks, give or take a few dollars. Since this podcast will reach both American and Canadian listeners, and I hope more than that, but we're talking about dollars, so we might get a bit confused when we're talking about American dollars, Canadian dollars, which, which currency we're talking about. I'm, I'm not really sure how to nail this down. I wish I could say, unfortunately, it's, it isn't the same everywhere, and our American friends can get a lot more for 20 bucks than we can in Canada, both because of the value of their currency, and they also tend to have much lower taxes. Anyway, Canadian dollars, U.S. dollars, tell you the whole truth, the whole thing kind of stumps me. I don't want to get into quoting two price ranges. So when I say 20 bucks, okay, Americans might think 15 bucks, but let's just roll with it and see if we need to recalibrate in the future. Uh, 20 bucks. In 20, 20 bucks in the U.S., you get a lot of wine. Uh, a lot more than you will in Canada, but, you know, I'm going to talk about $20 wine because I think that's a nice number to, to shoot for, and I think you can get fantastic, fantastic wines for 20 bucks. Theme number three. Theme number one and two were about the, you know, this sort of virtuous evolution of wine quality and accessibility. Theme number three is about being discerning and careful and ready to challenge what we hear. Let's be supremely wary of conventional knowledge or conventional wisdom. A lot of the winemakers we'll feature on the wine beat are non-conventional and somewhat revolutionary. They are working hard to change paradigms and provide something better or more expressive of the potential of their land. So sometimes, but on all, not all the time, we're going to have to be a bit you know, rebellious ourselves and shun some of the wines that get all the hype it makes sense to go off the main shelf 
in the wine stores, to the regions and wine varieties, and this is what we're all about, that are less well-known, but are starting to make a big impact and should be noticed and should be drunk. Of course, sometimes the main shelves, you know, the the eye-level ones, will serve us just fine as well. We're not trying to be all alternative, you know. It's not all about that. That's not the mission. We're simply about getting, finding great wine that jumps out because of the quality and the price with a story. You know, all that stuff that I just said several times above. So, um, okay, move on to number four in our themes. Theme number four is about having a wild, uh, wild, having a wide field of vision. This search is international in scope, so we're going to have to travel. We're going to, you know, of necessity, we're going to have to go to places like Italy and France and Spain and Portugal. We're going to go to Argentina and Chile. We're going to go to South Africa and beyond, as far as we can possibly go, to find the coolest stuff. We're going to look in our own backyard. You know, we're going to look in California and Washington and in the Okanagan Valley in Canada, etc. We'll come back to that in a second. There just ought to be and really needs to be some cool wine tourism along the way so we can meet the winemakers and see the environment they're working in. That's it. I mean, those, those are my current thoughts on the thematic sort of lane markings for the road we're on with the wine beat. Depending how good you are with accents or picking up some of the hints, you may have picked up that I'm Canadian. I now live and work in Kelowna, which is in the Okanagan Valley, about four hours east of Vancouver in the province of British Columbia. One of the world's prettiest places, hands down. And it's one of the great as yet undiscovered wine regions in the world. We make a lot of killer wine here. The Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Cabernet Franc, something special here. The Syrah, um, Bordeaux blends are great. Our Chenin Blanc can be fantastic. Riesling can be killer. Uh, and among other you know varieties, they're outstanding. Why? because it's not as cold here as some of you might think to start with. Uh, but, you know, the Okanagan Valley in this part of British Columbia does have the benefit of a cool climate. It's not frozen, you know, and we can grow great grapes. Cool climates, together, of course, with, you know, really good fortune in soils and the terroir and all that stuff, make great, great wines. What you get, you know, richness of fruit flavors, crispness of acidity, strength in the color. Those are some of the key ingredients for great wines and they're hallmarks of cool climates. I'm mentioning all of this for a couple of reasons. One is that you can see my bias and why I think it's worth getting out and around the globe to find great winemakers. I mean, I'm, I'm in British Columbia in Canada and most people think we make ice wine here, which is just what we do. But I mean, that's a sideline. I mean, we're making world-class wines. So you can see my bias. And it's because a bunch of the great wineries that I, you know, that I admire are within an hour's drive of my house and they're knocking the lights out in quality and they're not well known, not on a global stage. So from that kind of perspective, a person is bound to begin to be curious about what else is out there that is similarly yet to be discovered. You know, the other reason I mentioned it is because you will find a bit more Canadian wine content that you might find elsewhere. It's not going to dominate this podcast, and but what we'll do is we're going to put the Canadian stuff in the global context and, and use it as a foil to talk about wine in international terms. You know, Pinot Noir is a great example. We can talk about uh, BC Pinot Noir or Ontario Pinot Noir, and then we can talk about 
Pinot Noir from uh, you know New Zealand or California or, or or Burgundy. But I just thought I should mention all of that up front, and so you know where I'm coming from. So, with all of that, it's time I think for some some important closing notes. One of the things I like to do is a bit of a side thing here. I'm going to include some interesting food notes with the podcast as much as much as I can. I don't mean the sort of boring, you know, this wine pairs well with fish or crab cakes, that sort of stuff, but something more along the lines of, you know, traditional tapas or local specialties that can be matched up with the wine. For example, if we zero in on white wines from northwestern Spain in an episode that and then we can get recommendations from our guests on the podcast on a few simple foods that the people of Galicia love to eat with wine. Undoubtedly, one of the great things about wine is that it tastes and smells even better when served with small plates of food or, or even, you know, big plates of food. So for these Spanish wines in this example, like Albariño or Godejo, we might make some suggestions around basic delicious stuff like you know, having some crusty bread with olive oil, some grilled peppers also with olive oil and a grind of pepper and salt, some cheese, maybe a maybe a couple of handfuls of steamed clams with you know, bar, butter and garlic. We'll try to do as much of that sort of thing in the episodes as we can, and hopefully that will give you some ideas to add zest to that, you know, that couple of hours when you come home from work or, the, you know, you're going out for happy hour with friends before dinner and you can have that food and wine explosive experience. This kind of food also helps get the best out of wines. All right, a few comments about communication and staying in touch. This is so important. I'd be extremely happy. I'd be so happy if you visit the website, www.winebeatpod.com. That's www.winebeatpod.com. There are show notes for this podcast and the other podcasts, and they give additional information, maps, links, photos, all that sort of stuff. So that's content that you just can't get across on a podcast, but it fills in a huge amount of the useful stuff, the real, you know, which wine is he really going on about so that I can maybe actually go and buy it and try it and that kind of stuff. Where does it come from? What's the map look like? The website also has a page called The Tasting Room, which is a place for wines to be featured where I can give information on the wines you know, mentioned in the podcast primarily, but also for guests to be able to give their recommendations and likewise for the, the Wine Beat community, that's all of you, uh, to give wine picks, wine picks that we can, wine picks that we can post, you know, we can, we can make notes of those recommendations um, and make them line up with the overall theme. Do you have a wine pick? Send it and we'll put it in the tasting room and people can let us know what they think. Uh, that brings me to email and feedback. I can't encourage you enough to take a minute and send me some emails and feedback. It's what it's all about. Sharing information, getting to the great wine, and knowing what you like, dislike, would like to see more of, etc. all that stuff. So please let me know. Email address is winebeatpod at gmail.com. So that's W-I-N-E-B-E-A-T-P-O-D at gmail.com. Also, very, very, very importantly, please subscribe to the podcast. It takes a click. I mean, it's so easy. And then you'll be able to see available episodes at a quick glance and see what looks interesting to you. As you know, podcasters need subscribers like grape vines need the sun. 
You can also give a rating to the show. Hope it's a five, never know. Uh, and you can give your feedback. This is a new show, so I'm going to be hovering over my winebeatpod at gmail.com inbox looking for your notes. I'm going to be hovering over the, you know, the the iTunes site seeing if anybody's made a rating or given me comments. So that that's it. That's my pitch to you to listen to the Winebeat podcast. Check out the other episodes that have already been loaded up. Let's go hunting for great wines. Thanks. Before you go, here's some afterthoughts and some food for debate. In a big way, this is maybe, you know, one of the most important things I forgot to say in the episode. So everybody's taste in wine is different. There is no right or wrong. And as a result, wine scoring systems are just totally fatally flawed. Every person tastes something different in wine. Legitimately. Physiognomically, you taste different things in wines. Plus, each person likes different things. Wine recommendations are kind of ridiculous because each and every human will have a unique experience with the wine they're drinking. Okay, palates and noses can be trained to pick out and recognize key wine traits. And sommeliers are very talented people with great, you know, olfactory and taste training and, you know, capabilities. There's definitely a good degree, a great degree of shared experience and shared language that is, can be used in the wine, uh, you know, the wine business and, and the wine world. There are also definitely people with greater natural acuity of smell and taste. I know this absolutely. But in the end, no one really knows what the other person is tasting or smelling. So no one can tell you definitively that such and such a wine is a 95-point wine. At least that's my view, said in perhaps more stark terms than you should really put in a wine podcast. Don't know. So sorry if that seems blunt or harsh. Are there significant differences in quality? And can one wine be more nuanced and sublime while another is actually flawed? Of course. There are such real fundamental quality differences, that's without a doubt. It's a huge aspect of the enjoyment of wine. But qualitative judgment of wine has to be sensitive to the reality that different people sense different wines differently. I guess the point I'm trying to make with all of this is that the podcast and the website will not assign a point score to any wine. Rather, what we're going to try to do is identify and shine a light on some of the best examples of a wine of a certain type or from a certain region, something that is a great wine, you know, at a great price point, regardless of any point score hype. I hope that makes sense. We will definitely recommend wine as being great, in quotes, but we won't say, wow, this is, you know, 92.5 on a 100-point scale. That being said, you know, point scorers do have a place in the world of wine. I'm not completely poo-pooing them. And we're going to sometimes mention those point scores, you know, for particular wines that come from the big name experts. But just as a point of reference and not so much as, you know, like a carte blanche endorsement, oh, this is a 93-point wine. But they do have their place. So, so long and drink great wine this week. I hope to see you next time. Here's a motto that you might think should apply to me after you've been listening to this, as Aristophanes said. 
Give him some wine so he'll say something clever. Ciao.